Wow, what a morning. I've heard it described both as your birthday and as your anniversary, and so I'm not, which, I'm not sure which is appropriate. So I just want to say happy birthiversary. Uh, it is such an honor to be with you here today. And not just to see what God is doing, not just to see this church flourishing, but it's a special privilege for Judith and I to be able to see so many of our friends here, and most importantly, to see the way that God is using Jason, Pastor Jason, and Pastor Erica to do such an extraordinary work right here in what is one of the difficult places to build a healthy, vibrant, Jesus-centered, life-giving, people-loving kind of church in. And so uh, I love these guys. I've, I've often said that uh, when it comes to pastors Jason and Justin, that they are my sons as much as my three sons are my sons. And so we love you so much, so proud of you if I could uh, be presumptuous enough to say that. And uh, I just want to say God bless you guys and what you're doing. Can you give some love to your pastors here this morning? Fantastic. So much of what we built in Phoenix is because of the groundwork that they have helped to lay there. And we knew the day was going to come when they would uh, move to Salt Lake City uh, to plant here. And I was hopeful that it would be 35 or 40 years later. I could see them coming in their late 60s, early 70s, maybe even 80s to give the remaining two years of their life to Salt Lake City. And, <laughs> I was better with that than you know. And, uh, but God put it in their heart. And I really believe that uh, this city, the trajectory of this city, and the storyline of this city is forever changed because that they chose to come here. And I think in the early days, you can see the beginning of that. The fruit is evident. The fruit is apparent. But just trust me when I say that the fruitful years are still ahead of you. And what you're seeing around you on this beautiful weekend is but a small thing in light of what God is going to do. And this is no small thing. But in comparison to what God has planned for you, in comparison to reaching thousands of people with the life-giving message of Jesus, your best days are just ahead of you. So it's so good to be here this morning. Hey, I, I've got a few things I want to share in my heart. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13, and as you're locating the passage, let me just take a quick poll to kind of set up the message. I wonder this morning how many task-driven people are in the room. How many of you can't stand living with unfinished business? You are a classic congregation of overachievers. Come on, hold your hand high here this morning. All of the people who can't stand unfinished business, you are my people. You are my people. I'm with you, and I'm with you because that I hate unfinished business, and that's a little ironic because the fact is I live in a world of ministry, and ministry is never finished. It will never be finished. In fact, this is something that I had to reconcile several years ago because I, I discovered that uh, I was under the constant pressure of trying to finish assignments that will never be completed, and because of that, I was feeling a little bit of anxiety in my heart. One day I woke up and I realized the fact is that there are some things that will never be finished in my life. I will be preparing and preaching sermons for the rest of my life. I will be loving people for the rest of my life. 
I will be ministering to people in crisis for the rest of my life. I will be leading and discipling people for the rest of my life. I will be building church for the rest of my life. I will be recruiting foster care families and adoptive families for the rest of my life because that's what I'm called to and the work of ministry is never done. It was also that day that I discovered for me the power of doing simple, repetitive acts in order to find some sort of conclusion and resolution and completion in my life. Now what I'm about to say, some of you are going to look at me as if I am crazy, but that was the day in our household that I discovered the power of household chores. <laughs> yes, like vacuuming and washing the dishes and even folding laundry. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm serious. I, I could discover a sense of completion by doing simple things like that. And some of you I know are thinking, but in my large family, those things are never done. But in our small household now, as we are empty nesters, we don't have a lot of those things to do. And yet, by doing a few of those things, I could find a place of completion. Some of you guys are looking at me as if I've just ruined your lives. <laughs> and some of your wives are looking at you as if... Could you get with the program, Bubba? <laughs> a little OCD helps every home at some point or another in life. And so for me, I hate unfinished business. And that brings me to what I want to talk about this morning. I want to unpack a passage that deals with the issue of unfinished business in the life of Joshua. And I think there's a message in this for all of us right here on this anniversary weekend as we consider the mandate of Jesus to love people, to build church, to serve the community, and to expand the kingdom of God. All of those amazing things to which you are called and to which you can give yourself for the rest of your life knowing that even though those things will never be completed, you can find satisfaction and joy in the journey and a sense of knowing that your life is being poured out for the cause of something that is eternal, something that is chosen by God, and something that will make a difference in the heart of this generation. Joshua chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Can, can I just pause right there and point out the fact that this could be really discouraging to hear from God? I mean, when you think about God, the ancient of days, the eternal God, the creator of heavens and earth, when God looks at you and says, hey, buddy, you're looking really old in this season of your life, that may not be an encouraging word to hear. That's got a sting on some level. Could I get an amen on that? You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet... Notice this, very much land to possess. Verse 2, this is the land that yet remains. All of the regions of the Philistines and all of the Gersherites from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim to the south, all the land of the Canaanites and... 
Mira that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, up to Park City and beyond, and the land of the Gibites and all of Lebanon, over towards sunrise from Baal God below Mount Hermon to Lobol Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel, only a lot the land of Israel, notice this, for an inheritance as I have commanded you. I hear the beautiful sound of rain. Verse 2. I want to talk for a few minutes out of verse 2 where God says, this is the land that yet remains. This is the land that yet remains. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much this morning for the opportunity to, to share a few thoughts that I hope are, are simple and life-giving and encouraging. Thank you for these amazing people gathered today. Lord, I know this room is packed full with dreams and, and, and ambitions and a holy longing to expend our lives for the sake of something that matters more than the mundane. God, I thank you for the wealth. Thank you for pastors Jason and Erica, for Pastor Justin, for all of the team here. I pray that you would bless our time together and may we leave here in a few moments with our vision expanded, with our hearts on fire and with a passion to do exactly what you've called us each to do and all of us collectively to do in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, in the passage I want to talk about for a few moments, 25 years have passed since Joshua first walked into the land of Canaan and they've been extremely productive years. 25 years of conflict and progress. 25 years of conquest and expansion. 25 years of taking ground and enjoying the fruit of their labors. When Israel first entered into Canaan's land 25 years earlier, they fought aggressively against individual cities like Ai and Jericho. You may remember hearing those stories. Anybody remember the story of Joshua and Jericho? Joshua fought the, oh, I'm not even going to sing it. Sunday school songs that come back to my memory in this moment of time of Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. And God gave him an amazing victory. But when the Canaanites saw the blessing of God upon them, and when the Canaanites realized that this work that God was doing that seemed underground was now going public, it was now rising up before the surface, it was now catching the attention of leaders throughout the land, the Canaanites decided they had to stop it. So what they did was to consolidate their cities. And instead of the children of Israel battling against single cities, now multiple cities joined together and came against them. But when God gave them victory over those combined cities, the Canaanites said, we have to do something more. And in Joshua chapter 11, this is what they did. They came out with all their troops as a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. But once again, God proved himself faithful and he gave Joshua victory over their enemies. Joshua conquered their armies. He took possession of their weapons. He destroyed their chariots. And with the people of Israel, they marched right back to the Canaanite strongholds. And they leveled them so that future generations could not rise up and multiply themselves against the purposes of God. And then the Bible says in Joshua chapter 11 and verse 23, the land rested from war. 
Now think about it. All of this activity, all of this conquest and expansion is then followed by a time of peace. That's Joshua chapter 11. And what happens next is really what I want to spend my time talking about this morning. Joshua chapter 11 leads into Joshua chapter 12, and what I want to talk about is in chapter 13. But in chapter 12, it's like a flashback scene. It's like God takes him all the way back, kind of like an anniversary service, where God says, let me show you where I brought you from. Let me show you how 35 people has become a healthy, flourishing, vibrant community of over 400 people today. Let me show you how one salvation has led to 381. Let me show you how one baptism has led to so many today. And I want you to see all of this and celebrate all of this because this is just simply to stoke your faith because I have your best years just ahead of you. The best is yet to come. Now, in chapter 12, God shows them all of this in this flashback scene. And God shows them how that, that Moses defeated two kings. But then Joshua comes on the scene, and under the good hand of a kind and compassionate and gracious God, he defeats 31 kings. I think there's a lesson in that. And the lesson is, is that as we are continuing to move into the purposes of God, God plans for each generation to be stronger than the previous one. God plans for each generation to do more to the glory of His name than the previous generation. And God wants us to know that the seeds for the next generation are right here in the room today. I come from five generations of pastoral ministry. And by the grace of God, in His kindness, and fruitfulness in our lives, we've been able to accomplish what others before us hadn't. And I'm seeing now young leaders who've been raised up and, and developed within the house, not just our house, but many houses, like pastors Jason and Erica, and what they're going to do is exceed what I've been privilege to build in my generation. And that's what we're celebrating. But on the other hand, I want to challenge you with the idea that they will raise up other leaders and you'll be a part of developing a new generation. And should Jesus tarry, that next generation should look back on the well as the good old days and say, thank God for what he did then. But we're now building something new, something stronger, something more victorious to the glory of God because one generation praises his name to another and the beauty of God's kingdom is that increase is what he's planned for us and our sons should become the princes in the land the book of Psalms says so there's this quick flashback scene and then after this flashback scene we find God then positioning them for this and through it all you see the faithfulness of God when God said to, to Joshua no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life God meant it Every promise God has given you, He means it. He intends to act upon it. He had blessed Joshua in extraordinary ways to accomplish an exceptional assignment. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I'm driving for. With all of that behind them, expansion, conquest, building, all of that, 31 kings defeated, we find that Joshua then settles down 
in the land. And with all of that wind in his sails, with all of that momentum driving him, Joshua settles down and stops expanding the kingdom. He quits pushing to the north. He quits pushing deep into the south. And God has to come to him in the passage we've read this morning. And God has to tell him the job isn't finished. Thank God for this anniversary. But the job isn't finished. Thank God for everything he has done. But there's more work to be done. And with that wind in our sails, with that momentum in our lives, if we can keep leaning into tomorrow with a faith-filled disposition, believing the promises of God, committed to expanding the kingdom of God, all working together in a unified spirit, then all of that can empower us to accomplish all that yet remains before us. Think about that. Joshua, this mighty man of valor just settles down, stops in his best days. Think about it, business leaders. In your best days, if you went in one morning and just said, I'm going to just camp right here. Think about it, parents. If in the best days of your family, you just decided one day, well, we're just, we're just going to stop right here. Think about it, leaders right here at the well. That's exactly what Joshua did. And on one level, can I be honest? I kind of get it on one level. Even though I hate unfinished business, the fact is I'm not a guy that really likes change. Can I be honest with you? Please don't tell anybody in Phoenix. I hate change. But I hate the cost of not changing more than I hate change itself. And I understand it. When you've spent 40 years out in the wilderness, when your bones have been bleaching in the desert, and you finally come into the promised land, I mean at the first sign of milk and honey, it's so easy to settle there. So easy to settle at the point of a breakthrough and just breathe a sigh of relief. Say, thank God we dodged a bullet. Offer a, 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 a thank you to heaven and then just establish your tent in the most comfortable place to camp. It's so easy to settle at the place of your greatest achievement and then rationalize and justify your failure to move forward into additional ground. And I think that's not only true for Joshua, I think that's true for all of us. We all face the temptation to settle. And it's usually after we've either accomplished something significant or we failed at something that really matters. Both of those moments are sticking points for people. There are some people who, when they break through, say, all right, I've already gotten here, and there's no need to push anymore. And then there are other people who say, that was so painful to attempt, and I failed at it, I'll never push anymore. And both success and defeat can become sticking points in our lives. Every small business owner who's fought long and hard to build a viable business, has to fight the temptation to settle once you become profitable. Every family that has raised your children and you've finally gotten them off into their life and, and you now have time and maybe a little discretionary income and, and the Spirit begins to move you to take in a child to foster or to adopt, it's so easy to say, 
I've already done that. And to camp right here. It's so easy for every church that breaks through and baptizes people and sees 381 come to Christ in four short years. It's so easy to say, man, we're here. Look what God has done. Why expand anymore? After all, my friends are in the room. After all, it's comfortable to be at one service or two services or at one campus or at one location. Why would I put myself in the place of having to take another step of faith? That's what Joshua did, and I get it. Even battle-hardened soldiers like Joshua come to a point when they want to spend their days in peace. And not only do I understand that, I resonate with that because I come from a long line of settlers. Good godly people who just got to a point and said, enough's enough. Five generations, as I said. My great-granddad, and, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm at this point in my life, I, I'm just letting it out. I, I come from a classical Pentecostal background. I'm, I'm Pentecostal, and so don't blame that on Jason and Erica. I don't know how they would self-define. Um, I'm Pentecostal, and, uh, which means that we're crazy, and uh, uh, yeah, you know, it means a lot of things, doesn't it? And, and, and for, years I, for years, I was in the witness relocation program. Anytime people would say, what kind of background would you come from? I was like, oh, it's a Christian background. Oh, but tell me more. Well, uh, hey, look over there. <laughs> the older I get, the more I preach, the more I spit and wave my arms and shout and scream, the more I realize I'm Pentecostal and I can't get away from my shadow. But I, I come from a Pentecostal background, great godly people who just got to a certain point in building church and just stopped there. Just got comfortable. My dad, who's a good, godly man, just at some point on the journey, and I don't know when it was, Pastor. I don't know if he was 35. I seem to remember it was sometime when he was just about that age because I was just a kid, and he just decided one day, you know, enough's enough. We've reached enough people. We've loved enough people. We, we just kind of settle here, and, and then the wagons begin to circle around the camp, and, and we just camp there. But the problem with that is that you never maintain what you have accomplished. You never maintain what you have uh, acquired. You never maintain the ground that you have taken. Ultimately, if we're not leaning in with a faith-filled disposition, you find that the pressure of darkness, the pressure of life, the pressure of the enemy that wants to reclaim the ground that we've taken begins to push us back. And you find that maintenance is really a myth. Maintenance ultimately results in losing the ground that we've taken. God doesn't want us to maintain as long as there is a world yet to be loved, yet to be reached, yet to be served, yet to be rescued, redeemed, and restored. We are called to the land that yet remains. And it's not just church building. Some people settle for a mediocre marriage. I mean, it's not great, but at least it's companionship, they think. Some people settle for an unfulfilling career. It doesn't make them feel alive. It, it doesn't bring out their gifts and talents and abilities. It doesn't line their avocation with their vocation and a sense of being used by God. But, but after all, it pays the bills. Some people settle for a life that's relatively free. I mean, they're not really free, but they're managing their addictions, and, and that's better than anything else, and so they, they just kind of settle there. And some people in life settle for a lot of different reasons, but the fact is we're all tempted to settle at some point or another. Why is that? Why is it? Well, I think some people settle because of fear. Fear. When you look at the great unknown, it, it's fearful to launch out. 
Can I, can I just say to you that if you're launching out on a whisper from heaven, stepping out onto the water is more solid than standing on planet earth with your feet firmly planted. Stepping out onto faith is the most secure thing you can do, and you don't have to be afraid when God is the one leading you, when God is the one directing you, when God is the one inspiring you to live out the dream that He has planned for you. There is nothing to fear in expansion when God is leading the expansion. Some, some people settle because of exhaustion. There's work. Life is work. Building a family is work. Carving a church out in a challenging community like, like, like this one is work. And sometimes it's easy to say, man, whew, I'm just tired. Sometimes people settle in life because that, that of insecurity. And they, they, they feel like they've used up their capacity. They're insecure about whether they have what the future requires of them, whether they have what a growing environment requires of them. And so it's easy to just settle back and say, well, you know, I I'm going to settle right here. Some people settle because of time. They feel like their best years are in the rearview mirror. Their best days are just ahead of them. And I understand that because I felt all of that at some point or another. Even though I hate unfinished business, I am driven to reach people far from God and to build church and to expand the kingdom. But on another level, every time we break through in a brand new way with a new campus, a new service, a new launch, a new building, every year when Vision Sunday rolls around for me, I've got to push myself into the land that yet remains because it's just so easy easy to settle. I'm here to challenge you today in the most loving way I can and to encourage you into the future God has for you because the future is where the blessing is. The future is where the promise lies. The future is where your dreams are alive. The future is where you see the promises of God realized. And I'm not saying you're not seeing that today because all of this is good. I'm just simply saying there's more in store. There's better ahead. God has greater in plans and terms for your family and for what He's called you individually to do and for this church as well and I want to encourage you towards the land that yet remains I think maybe that's why God includes the stories of great pioneers in the Bible like Joshua and I think that's why God includes the stories of Joshua getting stuck I love the book of Joshua but I want to be honest with it book of Joshua is a troubling book on many levels it's filled with images of conflict and bloodletting it's filled with images of cities being conquered instead of being served. It, it's, it's, it's filled with images of people being destroyed instead of being redeemed. And even though the book of Joshua doesn't reflect the disposition of Jesus because Jesus is about serving, he's about lifting, he's about empowering, he's about blessing, he's about encouraging, that's why Jesus is the greater Joshua. And yet God leaves the story of Joshua in the Bible because ultimately he wants us to know even though we do all of those things differently today, the heart of God is always about expansion and strength stretching and believing and reaching until we all individually and collectively occupied the land that yet remains. Hey guys, until every promise of God has been fulfilled in your life, there's the land that yet remains just ahead of you. Until your marriage is healthy and happy and holy, 
There is the land that yet remains. Until your family is fully engaged in loving Jesus and living out his purposes, there is the land that yet remains. Until your financial world is consistently experiencing the blessing of harvest cycles of sowing and of reaping, there is the land that yet remains. Until your career is a platform that you can stand on to share the life and message of Jesus with the world around you, there is the land that yet remains. And for the well, until every person in this city has heard the message of Jesus and seen the gospel being lived out by a loving and compassionate church, there is the land that yet remains. Until you have fulfilled your mission to add campuses and services and groups across the valley so that every person has access into this life that you enjoy today, you still have vision ahead of you. And as long as the land yet remains, we can't afford to settle for one single day. Hey, I believe there's a calling on this church to reach this region. I believe there's a calling on this church. And in the light of that, how can we just say, all right, one and done. All right, we've settled it. All right, I'm, I'm saved. I know Jesus. My family's in the house. We're growing and flourishing. How can we not look around us at the world and say, we want to be a part of reaching every single person with the love and grace and compassion and the message of Jesus? Amen? I know that spirit's here in this room today. Let me real quickly, on this anniversary Sunday, just give you a couple of things I want to, I want to talk about. And I'm almost through. I'm in, I'm in closing moments here. My closing's last, but I'm in closing minute. In fact, if, if somebody wants to come play on the keyboard, that will give you a false assurance that I'm about to close. Because that's what pastors do. We invite people to come play on the keyboard, and, and you think, oh, that sounds so nice. No, it's to provide you with a false sense of security that the service is coming to an end. Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. The Lord gave, watch it on the screen, Joshua 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their, fa their fathers. And notice this, and they took possession of it. I love, that, I love that juxtaposition there. And the Lord gave to them, and they took it. And the Lord gave to them, and they took it. Which is it? It's both. God gives it to us, but by faith we've got to take it. God gives us promises. You say, you say, Terry, I don't have a promise. Well, actually, you have a book of them. Just find one. Just, just find one. One that says, with long life, he will satisfy me and show me his salvation. Just find the promise there. Whatever you're battling with, whatever you're challenged with, find the promise, stake your claim, and make that the land that yet remains for you if you haven't heard a personal whisper from God. You've got access to the promises of God. And yet when everything is said and done, the Lord gives us the land, and we got to take it. And the beautiful thing about this is that how do we take it? Well, we take it through faith. Faith is what accesses the promises of God. Faith in God, not just faith in general, not just faith in life, but faith in God is what empowers us to, to fulfill the assignment God has for us. Faith is what we trade in exchange for the promise. It's the currency of heaven. Now, the amazing thing about this is that this God loves us so much that he doesn't expect us to come up with faith on our own. He says, I'll give to every person a measure of faith so that you can then exchange it for the promise. See, it's all 
God from beginning to end. It's all Jesus from beginning to end. We are really just here partnering with him in his story, and he leaves us under the illusion that we're partnering. Have you ever lifted something really heavy and had a small child in your house come to you and say, I'll help you, Daddy, and you said, okay, and your little boy, five, six, seven, picks up one end. He's doing nothing, but you let him feel like he's doing a lot of the work there. You're carrying the load. He's just there partnering with you. That's the amazing thing about the grace of God. He's carrying the load. He gives us the faith. He gives us the ability to give him back the faith. And ultimately, he's working all of that because he loves you so much, he can't stand to see you outside of the land that he has planned for you. He, he gave it, but they had to take it. He gave it, but they had to take it. Sometimes you, you got to take the promises of God. Confess the word of God. Believe the word of God. Stand on the promises of God. Say no to the enemies of your soul and of your destiny. The enemies of darkness that would try to contain you and confine you. You just got to stand strong and say in the name of Jesus, I have a calling. I have an assignment. I have a mandate. I have a relationship with the God of heaven and, and I'm going to fulfill what God has called me to. I'm not going to settle here and you're not going to contain me here. Neither are options. Obedience and fulfillment are the way of my life in moving forward. Now, I want to just, I've not even gotten to the points I have, and I'll make them really, really quick. I'm feeling better. He took me skiing yesterday, and I thought he loved me. I've been skiing like seven years, and I realized there are more than one way to come down a mountain. At one point, I was in this weird, upside-down, backwards, truthful, frog position, legs crossed, knees completely spread apart. It was painful, and it took me back to what happened that morning when I snapped into the binder. When I snapped into the binder, I felt a cold chill go down my spine. I now know that was a word from God. It was a warning. Stay away from this. Get back in the valley where the sun is shining. I thought we were going water skiing. Now, anyhow, number one, here's what I want to say. If you don't finish whatever God has assigned you to accomplish, someone else will have to do it. See, the mission on your life, the mission God has for you is not irrelevant. It matters to God. God doesn't just hand out assignments to keep people busy. He gives assignments because they're a part of the master plan that he's trying to accomplish. And you need to obey your assignment individually. And we need to obey our assignment collectively as a community. And all that works together somehow in what God's trying to do in the heart of a city. We all have a part to play personally, individually, and corporately. Secondly, unfinished business is always harder to complete when the moment is past. Look at every person in the Bible and in history, and you see how difficult it is to go back and engage when you miss the moment. You business leaders, men and women in here, you know what I'm talking about. You missed a moment, somebody else seized it, and now they're a squillionaire, and you're thinking, man, if I would have only invested in Walmart or Microsoft or Apple, and I didn't see it. Here's what I've discovered. We can't create windows of opportunity but God gives us windows of opportunity. And windows of opportunity sometimes come floating by our lives. They, just, they come by our lives. It's, it's a window that comes by our life. You can either discern it or not. You can't enter it if you don't discern it. But you can't create that. And in my life, there have been windows that come through, and sometimes God, in his good, kind, gracious disposition, brings those windows right back around and gives us another chance. But sometimes, those windows just float on by, and if we don't step into them by faith, we miss a moment. 
If you hadn't stepped into this building and it took faith, you would have missed a moment. And, and it might have been seven years before you had another opportunity, if at all, to step into the moment. And so there are these moments in our life. I'm not talking about chasing after opportunity. I'm talking about listening to God, listening to the whispers of the Spirit, and discerning those opportunities. But when you miss those opportunities, it's difficult to regain the moment. It's difficult to regain it. Number three, unfinished business has a greater impact on your future than you realize in the moment. I'm so sorry. No, actually, I'm not sorry. I'm going to finish this in Jesus' name because I'm preaching about finishing things, and I hate unfinished tasks. <laughs> unfinished business has a greater impact on our future than we realize in the moment. Sometimes we think, well, I can walk away from this. I can walk away from this marriage. I can walk away from this relationship, walk away from this church, walk away from this career. And, and, and we fail to realize that the impact on our soul is significant. And sometimes failing to step into it creates a diminishing of our faith. And we look back and say, man, I didn't just miss a God-designed opportunity, but I weakened my own faith because I didn't trust Him and step into it. And then finally, number four, unfinished business keeps us from enjoying rewards and experiencing new assignments. And that's what I want to land on here this morning as I close. All of this expanding, stepping into territory personally and corporately is because God has a blessing, God has a reward, God has a provision for you, and that provision is just ahead of you. You've got to step into it. You've got to move into it by faith. And when you do, when you finish the assignment, you then qualify for the next assignment. If you don't finish this assignment, God doesn't just pile assignments unfinished upon assignments unfinished. God says finish the season, and when you finish the season, then I'll bless you, I'll reward you, and I'll open up a new season to you. And that's how we live from faith to faith. That's how we live from glory to glory. You've done one season. Four years of anniversary. Well done, well done. Birth anniversary Sunday. And a birthday Sunday. Well done, well done. But the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.